Hi, this is Dr. Rahman, and welcome to Black Women's Health. The last few podcasts have been slightly different in that I've been interviewing some awesome Black women, young Black women who are working in the community. They're on fire. Um, I created YouTubes, but I always say just listening to what they have to say is worth the time. It's worth the time. Today, I have a young Black woman who is a dietitian talking about health and food and how we can improve our health through what we eat. She's amazing. She's totally amazing. I am struck by her her knowledge and her wanting to have an input in helping her community get healthy. Please enjoy the podcast or better yet check out the YouTube. Until later, this is Dr. Rahman. Take care. My name is Karana Watson. And what is your profession? I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. Very nice. Now, what is the difference between being a dietitian and being a nutritionist? So when we talk about the difference between being a dietitian and a nutritionist, we're talking about the level of education. Um, when we're talking about a nutritionist, naturally, most of them have an undergrad degree in either like kinesiology, um, and they specialize in nutrition, or they just have a degree in nutrition. Um, but anyone who is a registered and licensed dietitian means they complete their undergraduate degree, they've completed their internship hours, and I think it's a minimum of 1,200 um, hours, and it's usually over a span of anywhere from six months if you're doing a lot of crammed in their long hours to anywhere from six months to nine months of time it takes to complete the internship. Um, And once you complete the internship, you have to go sit for a national test. um, And that's through the Commission on Registration of Dietetics, the CDR. And so remind us again, are you a dietitian or a nutritionist? I am a dietitian. Okay, so you've done all of that. Yes. And yes, ma'am. And one thing they have added is you will have to have a master's degree within the next two or three years. So are you considered a healthcare professional? Yes, ma'am. In the same league as a doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant? Yes, ma'am. We uh, we can get credentialed through the insurance companies just like a doctor can, and the insurance will pay to see for you guys to see us. Give us a little background. How did you get into this field? So long story short, I really wanted to do uh, either athletic trainer, physical therapy. As much as I love those, I don't like touching people that much. So (laughs) (laughs) I worked in college at Prairie View University in the sports medicine department. So I've worked with football players, track, tennis. And so I love that, but I didn't like the schedule. It's a lot of hours, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are salary, and I know how that works now, so that's enough. Um, <laughs> and so I was trying to find a balance between a health profession and something that I can still teach and counsel and move. And so I ended up getting an extra scholarship at Prairie View in agriculture, and there was only so many um, degrees <laughs> in, in there that I could choose from in order for that scholarship to apply. So I I didn't want to do textiles. I didn't want to work with animals. I didn't want to work with bugs. So nutrition was the next thing, but it still fit inside of the healthcare realm where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of just ran down that. I like food anyway, so it kind of helped. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, can I ask why? I mean, a lot of times people say they want to be a doctor or a nurse. That was not your interest. No, 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 no. Good. Um, my stepdad is a doctor and I honor what they do. They're very, you, you all are very wonderful professionals, but I didn't want that much education. Um, even though people encourage me still to this day, like you should go be a doctor. I'm like, no, great. <laughs> um, I, I just didn't have that passion at that level. Um, I didn't have that passion at that level, but I still wanted to be in the medical field, which are a lot of careers and opportunities that you could do. Again, I don't like touching people, so that, that does limit a lot of things. So um, in terms of career and profession, uh, is it hard to get into this field? Can you make a lot of money? 
Um, what would you tell someone if they had not heard about this possibility? So yes, you can make as much money in any profession. I believe you can make money in any profession. It's to the level of degree of education that you have and business savviness that you have about it. Um, there's dietitians making millions of dollars. Now, let's be, let me be very clear when I say this, those dietitians own a practice that have people working for them. They own products. So it's not like I'm just a single dietitian. Like I do own a um, private practice, but it's just me. Like those dietitians own the business. They own coaching programs to help other professionals. They still counsel patients. They have offices. <laughs> so they have more invested into it. So yes, you can make money. Um, there is a lot of areas in dietetics you can get into. So there's people, um, and to answer the question, is it tough? No, it's not tough. It's strategic. I think that's the best way I can say. Oh, explain that. Because there's only so many, just like in medical school, there's only so many internships. There's only so many residency spots. There's only so many spots. So it's like playing the lottery. And you just better hope you have really good grades and you look as versatile as a student as you possibly can when you're putting out your filler to get into your internship. And so um, they'll tell you a lot of times, put as how many you can afford. Mm -hmm. Um, I put, I think, seven or eight out, and I got one back, and you take what you get, <laughs> you don't throw a fit, and you keep moving, and so it's a very strategic process. It really starts when you get in your freshman year, because you have to have a certain GPA, unless you're not competitive. Wow. So you have, and there's two GPAs they consider. Um, they consider our science GPA, and then they consider our overall GPA. So, um, and just to put it in perspective, we are very science latent. I took classes with pre-med students. I took classes with chemical engineering students. So our, uh, we take inorganic one and two, organic one and two, biochemistry, anatomy and physiology, one and two, um, but we take the same one the nurses take. And so, and some of us take a couple other classes depending on what we are specializing in, but that's, Pretty much you are short, at my university, we were short one class of a, of a chemistry minor. And I said, I'm great. I've taken a chemistry class to save a lot of time. So it, it is very intensive. And I think a lot of times when people think about what we do, they just think food. Yes. Tell people what to eat. I wish that was, the, that's the easy part. That is the easy part. So when I say strategic, I mean really in the in, in the scheme of things, you have to be on point. From the, you walk in from your freshman classes to your, your senior classes and you're applying for that internship, you are pretty much putting together that resume. Um, you, you still have to volunteer. They wanna see that you're not just a student. They wanna see that you're active on campus and that you're active in your community. And so it takes a lot to, to from the start to finish to get to the internship. Now, once you get to the internship, it's just, just do what they tell you to do and you just study, roll through so that you can sit for your boards. All right, so now you really need to clarify something because you said something that I said yes to. When we think of dietitian, we think of food. Yes. And you said that's really not all of what we do. No. So just like, um, and I think sometimes people don't see us as medical professionals because they think of just food, but we are very late in, we are very inundated, should I say, in the biochemistry, the chemistry of it, the, um, for my science people, the TCA cycle, the Krebs cycle, like all of that goes into what we do. Um, so for, there are dietitians, like I said, in a lot of different areas. Um, so there's people who work with AIDS and HIV, transplants, um, of course, cardiovascular, um, geriatrics, advanced practice, people who, if you're on a tube feeding, um, if your family members can't swallow for some reason, we do all that. So they are the ones deciding which foods are okay based on whatever the medical condition or the medical concern may be. Yes, yeah, so the foods or supplements. That and when I say supplements, not just like vitamin D and calcium, we're talking like higher level supplements. 
So say if you have a wound, um, a lot of our diabetic patients have wounds. We're using not just a high quality protein powder, but we're using um, specialized um, individual proteins themselves in conjunction with those protein powders and medications and vascular surgeons to get you back and get you back to healing and things like that. So it's, it's yeah, the food portion, like I said, is the easy part. So once you, it's getting through the lab work, getting through reading all of the notes from all the other doctors, seeing what their care plan is, and then taking the, the national standard for whatever the disease is and trying to marrying it all together with a person. Give me an idea of what your day is like. <sighs> so on a typical day, I have a nine, I have an eight or 30. <laughs> I have a nine to five. So I see patients um, in a public health setting. So I see patients of all caliber. Most of my patients though have some type of cardiovascular diabetes, renal disease. Um, I do have patients that have allergies, but I don't do a lar large amount of allergy-based patients. Um, so when I say allergies, people who are lactose intolerant, all the way up to Crohn's or celiac and things like that. So we get, I see pretty much whatever walks in the door <laughs> from anybody from one or two months to 99 plus. One to two months. So yeah, um, if, if sometimes we'll work, I don't, one or two months, if it's more of the parents are just having issues. Like, and we, when I say issues, it's not like failure to thrive, like the baby's not doing well. It might be improper use of formula. So we might show them how to mix the formula. Uh, sometimes, depending on the doctor, parents start putting things in bottles, things shouldn't be. FYI, the only thing that goes in bottles are milk. So, you know, things like that. Um, it's sometimes it's just more clarification for, for the parent, making sure like if the baby needs vitamin D drops, making sure you're giving it to them, um, especially breastfed babies get vitamin D drops. So there's like small things like that. Um, I, most of the time I come in at like around six months. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that might be for a baby whose weight's kind of lagging, but their height's on track um, or, they too, too big, <laughs> you know, the numbers on the scale start looking a little wonky. So we're, at that point, I'm like, okay, mom, what are you feeding them? Mm -hmm. What have you added to the milk? Cause you have to, it's just this. Now we do have some breastfed babies that just stay healthy. Um, and then we have other parents that just, they make in all kinds of concoctions and say, when at that age, you keep it simple, one food at a time. Um, so a lot of times it's just clarification and trying to helping at that age. So predominantly, do you see one type of patient diabetic versus renal versus obese? I mean, is there one group that tends to predominate your practice? All of those together. One person that's diabetic? All of it. All of it. All of it. That, and we not, we would, if we were to look at our practice um, on my day job, what I normally will see, diabetes, renal disease, um, we do have patients on dialysis, but a lot of times uh, they are switched over to the dialysis centers. And at that point, the center does that. The PCPs do, do we do still incorporate, but they don't usually see me. Mm -hmm. um, cardiovascular disease of the gamut. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, maybe gout. I mean, if we were to believe the statistics, you should be seeing a lot of Black women because we tend to be obese, hypertensive, diabetic, um, more so than other women. Because of where my office is located, I am in... West Philadelphia, it's the population that's there. So it's mostly brown and black people that I see regardless. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was in a different uh, facility, it might look different because different parts of the city have di whole different populations. So obviously you have to tailor what you say to each specific patient, but do you have any general recommendations you would give to someone 
Oh, two part question okay. about what they should eat and or we hear a lot of conversations about vegan versus not being vegan versus paleo versus there are all these different yeah. diets and there's all these different recommendations. What what do you tell people? So when we're talking about diets and we're talking about trends, because I call those trends. Um, the biggest thing I tell patients, where are you comfortable? I am not, I will give you all the options. I will lay everything out there for you. The pros and cons of everything, because everything has a pro and everything has a con. Um, I will lay it out there for you. And we will decide based off of whatever, whatever our issues are, what's the best option to go for. But the biggest thing I tell everybody is this, whole foods, not the store, are the best way to go. Oh, what do you mean by foods? Foods in their foods in their basic state. Okay. And what I mean by that is broccoli, regardless if it's fresh, frozen, or canned. Uh, now, when we start doing things to the broccoli, um, is when we start having problems. And when I say doing things, I don't mean canning, because canning is a traditional form of food preservation. Okay, so I want to make that out there. This, that has been around for a very, 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 very long time. It just went from mason jars to cans. So there, that that level of food preservation has been there. Um, there Do you are, worry about the salt content with, with, with cans? No, because most companies have sodium-free versions sitting right there next to them. We just don't think about it. It literally says salt-free or sodium-free. So most companies have salt-free versions of all items. We just don't. Pay attention to what's there. All right, so we want whole foods. Whole foods. And when I say whole foods, I mean simple ingredients. I mean, if, I'm, if, if you read pasta, you should be seeing, you should understand every ingredient you see there. Mm -hmm. If I read bread, same things. I made bread at home, yeast, flour, depending on the type of bread, maybe oil, eggs, whip, 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 let it rise. Put it in the oven. Um, now again, each type of bread has its own type of, you know, sourdough has a sourdough star. But what I mean by that is foods in their basic state, foods that haven't been processed. Um, the more processed we add to the food, the more the body has to do to it, um, the more issues we might reflect from it. Um, processed foods have been shown to increase cardiovascular risk. So you're saying no to fast foods. I'm saying moderation. So if I'm out and I, I'm, I'm, I know that I did not bring my lunch because this does happen, and I go out maybe once a week and I get something, cool. But it shouldn't be an everyday occurrence. It shouldn't be what I do to maintain life. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'll be honest with you, I do have patients that do. And so then we have to, based off of where they're going, look at what can I get that will get me from point A to point B with the least harm. So for instance, I had some patients, they may have limited cooking utensils, they limited cooking things because of their housing situation. So they might be running in and out of Wawa, we're on the East Coast, running in and out of Wawa 7-Eleven. So I show them how to get the, you know, the fruit cups. Um, they have the fresh fruit in most of those places. They do have the salads. Okay, what are we looking for on the salad? Um, they do have apples, bananas, oranges. They do have like the cheddar cheese, the small little ones. So sometimes we're looking at it, depending on the disease state, what's going to best get me from point A to point B. Uh, maybe I'll do water or carbonated water um, versus the ones with the added sugars or mm -hmm. sweeteners, depending on the person's problem. Still get the feel. I still, I still enjoy what I'm doing, but it's mm -hmm. not, I don't, I feel good at the end of it, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, and I think that's where we have to be adaptable. We have to be adaptable in the fact that everybody doesn't have the same access. And I have to work within what access you do have. Um, and one store I think a lot of people undervalue in that access realm is a Dollar Store. Dollar Tree to be exact. Like they actually have a lot of, they have some of those stable products. They have the beans, they have the rice, they have the peanut butter. 
they have in the back section, now they have frozen vegetables and frozen fruits without sauce. So you can go and get a bag of okra, a can of tomatoes and some rice and have a dinner. Um, you could, and don't spend the same amount of money you might have spent somewhere else. So we have to think within what is available where people are, but we as professionals too have to know what's there. Sure. So what about breaking the whole idea of food as comfort food or grandma used to make it and grandma lived till she was 89 years old. And so therefore- It must I, be okay. Yeah, I don't want to change. Yeah. So I grew up in the South. I am from the heart of the South. I'm from Texas. I'm from, my, my dad is from Arkansas. My mom is from Southeast Texas. Um, I grew up with all of that, but one thing, both of my parents are chefs, so one thing that they did was they modified the recipes. So it still tastes the same, um, but we don't use pig feet in everything. Like, we might do pig feet once a year, and that's during crawfish season. Um, <laughs> you know, she'll do, my mom and my dad would do um, smoked turkey. So they will use smoked turkey versus um, like a pig feet smoke pig feet or my dad would actually smoke a leaner sausage on the grill and then add that to a dish the thing is a lot of times those foods were what was available and that's great I that's what was there but we also have to consider the type of work that they were doing when those foods were available mm -hmm. everything was manual mm -hmm. I, making ice cream was manual mm -hmm. I'm not talking about walking to the store manual like turning, <laughs> turning cream manual, um, you know, chicken was actually head wrong, let out to, 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 I know how to do it, but just saying it, everything was manual. Everything required something. So there's a lot more energy put into it versus what we have now. So yeah, they lived longer, but they did more than we do, but we can't sustain that. So what do you say to people that have concerns about chicken? Because apparently our appetite for chicken has just escalated over the years. Yes. But we know that there are chicken farms yes. where chickens are given um, antibiotics. I don't think they're allowed to be given growth hormone or anything like that, but they are bred in such a way that they're much bigger than what they used to be 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Should we be concerned? I mean, from your perspective as a dietitian, should we be concerned about the quality? Yeah, or what we're doing to chickens. And because if the chickens are getting these antibiotics, I'm assuming we're getting it too by way of eating the chicken. Yes. So last time I checked and I, when we were doing this, they had changed a, long, a couple years ago, couple, if there's a span here, they did change the rules on uh, antibiotic, antibiotic use within animals. If an animal is sick, you treat them. We, they are not just giving blind antibiotics anymore. I think previous, they were giving more blind. It was more of a, here you go, safety measurement. Um, just like we're doing in people, we just don't give antibiotics for everything. There has to be a, a, there has to be that. And so I think that's something to be mindful of. Another thing we have to be mindful here in the US, and I think Europe has done an amazing job with this, is we have to demand quality of regulation. Um, if you compare ketchup from the same company in Europe to ketchup here in the U.S., you'll be surprised at the ingredients. Europe has, Europe, EU has, including, including uh, England before they, but all of them together, yeah. have banned a lot of ingredients that you cannot use. There are certain standards that aren't not necessarily as high in the U.S., but they're not as equivalent. There's a lot of things that you just can't do there. Um, and the quality of food is different there. Now, again, we do have, let's be clear, we do have fast food everywhere. 
<laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about standard of what's being presented. Um, so a lot of that is comparable to our over the pond friends. It's a lot different. So, I, so you think we should be concerned about our or about our food and specifically the whole idea of genetically modified? Okay. So because I did go to a I was in an agriculturally based program. And I, so when we talk about genetically modified, I think one thing we have, because we have to do a research paper on this too, uh, we have to be considered of a couple of things. When they say genetically modified, a lot of times they're making crops more drought resistant. Or so they might take a, I'm going to use this, this scenario, they might take a tomato from Africa that can withstand the heat versus a tomato from um, Florida, which the heat is not as much, and they will, they will use those genes, things like that. A lot of times what they're doing with genetically modified crops is they are trying to control for an issue. Um, for, issue, for, for instance, bananas. There has been a issue with the, the, the variety of bananas that we consume in most countries. What do you mean? Um, there was, I think it was a fungus or a virus that was destroying um, banana farms. So the bananas we eat aren't the only bananas out there. There's tons of bananas, just like there's tons of apples. It was destroying the trees. So they were trying, scientists were working with those other varieties that were resistant to that, the, the, the fungus or the virus to make, to see if we can save the variety of bananas that we eat. If you look it up, bananas actually, like some bananas actually have seeds that are like this big. So you bite into them and you like biting into a rock. Seeds <laughs> are quite, quite large. Um, and so when we talk about GMO, that's, something we can think about. Uh, sometimes they do crossbreeding, like we have plume pots. You know, when I think about, I think about the seedless watermelon. Now it's hard to find watermelons, watermelons with seeds. seeds. Yeah. And to the point that some of us go out looking specifically for watermelons with seeds because it doesn't seem natural. It doesn't yeah. seem right. And where are all these seedless watermelons coming from? So if we're talking about that, that means there is, there, they have, how do I say this? They have seed banks and the farmers go buy their seeds from a seed bank pretty much. And the bank, kind of like the bank they go get money from, they buy the seed, they give them money, they get the seeds and that's what they plant. But there's no seeds in the fruit. No, these seeds, that I don't know because I'm not in that okay. side of that, but that, that from, from what we, there are companies that own, just like we own uh, registrations for, like we go register your name. There's companies that own certain varieties of fruits and things. Should we be concerned about lack of biodiversity in our fruits and apples and other fruits and vegetables? No. Okay. The diversity is there. It just depends on what you choose. Do you find that most of us are very diverse in our selection? Of no. Foods? That's we, a no. We understand. I think the number one vegetable is potato. Yeah, right. that, that gets eaten. I know. can believe it. Yeah, potato. I, I don't think we're very, we're not very not a lot of us are adventurous in food. Um, I grew up with parents, like I said, who are both in the food industry, have owned catering companies, catered large events. And so we try a lot, we eat a lot. Um, and what you'll find is outside of the US, you go to a market, whether that's in Italy, whether that's in Kenya, and you will see the diversity of food, types of avocados to, 
uh, yams, sweet potatoes. They are two different things. They are not the same. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, stop, stop the press. What's the difference? So yams have a rougher texture. The outside looks like cheap. It looks to me looks like tree bark. Sweet potatoes are smooth. There's, it's more like smooth. But they're essentially interchangeable. Do they taste the same to you? I usually only do sweet potatoes. And why is that? Um, that's just what we, that's what we have. <laughs> oh, we usually do sweet potatoes. Um, we're more sweet potatoes than actual yams. Okay. They do look different though. Okay. We don't eat them a lot. So I'm a sweet potato person. I mean, food is such an important aspect of our lives. I don't think you paid enough attention. No, um, I put it this way. People pay more attention to what they do to their cars than they do with themselves. What they put in their body. So back to, you know, I touched on it briefly. In terms of paleo versus okay. vegan versus vegetarian versus, I mean, there are all sorts of things. Intermittent fasting. Uh, do you have any thoughts about any of this or is it all just a trend? I would say vegan, vegetarian, And then you have those who are pescatarian. Yes. And then those who eat meat. Those will be to me your three, your four bases. Your four throughout time. If you go back through time, you go back through history, groups usually fall in one of those four. Okay. That is more of a historical thing. You have groups that eat a lot more meat. You have groups that don't eat very much of anything. You have groups that live on coastal cities and they eat all kinds of fish. And you have groups that will touch fish with the, with the 10 foot pole. Um, those three are more of a category. When we start getting into paleo, when we start getting into intermittent fasting and all of that, those to me are more trends. They come and go. Now we do have groups and we do have cultures that do intermittent fasting, but it's more on a religious basis. It's not to lose weight. So that there, I think there's a difference. Like I do have patients who fast two days out of the week for religious purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll let me know what those days are. And we talk about, along with, the, along with the provider, how to take your medications, what to do. In certain culture, in certain communities, um, the, the religious leaders would tell them, hey, no, just go ahead and do what you need to do. Sometimes they will get the pass to do what they need to do. Um, sometimes they will maybe stop. They might only fast half. It just depends. Um, on what medically is going on um, and how they feel. Is there a health benefit for one diet versus another? There has been research done that a plant-based diet has the ability to help with managing a lot of our chronic conditions. I think a lot of times we take a lot of things to the extreme. And what I mean by that is if we look to just survey a, a buffet, that's just the easiest place where we have a lot of things. If we were to survey a buffet, you will find more people go for starches and meats versus vegetables. Is consuming meat bad? No. When we do something in excess too much, then yes. Well, what defines too much? So if I look at your plates, I'm gonna give you a great example, a tomahawk steak versus maybe a strip steak or a filet mignon. Smallest is the filet mignon. The next would be the strip and then the tomahawk. Bam, bam. There's people who would sit down and eat a 16 ounce steak, which in reality, we probably need more like four to five ounces. 
that tomahawk steak could feed the whole family, maybe the block. <laughs> and so we eat large amounts. Um, we, we eat supersized. Yes, supersized. Yes. You've supersized it. And again, like I said, if you want to eat meat at every meal, we can. Variety is key. Like, I don't need to do red meat at every meal. Um, I can do red meat. I can do fish. I can do shellfish. I can do chicken. Now, there are some people that don't have a lot of good things to say about dairy, uh, specifically cheese, or, um, and I think primarily African Americans and lactose intolerance. Of course. Um, you, you agree with that? that yeah, if you like, issue. 100%. Most of the world is lactose intolerant. Most of the world is lactose intolerant. Now, and this is something Bill Nye, the science guy, said, and I think I have to agree with him, is that we have to, we, we look at, and I'm going to take it a different way and come back around. We look at people's skin color in reference to their intelligence or who they are. But we should be looking at skin color in reference to how close you live to the equator. People who live north, when I say north, physically north, Russia, Antarctica, those northern, colder, less sunnier places, they don't need the pigment. They don't need to be as dark. So the food is different. People who live closer to the equator are going to be darker, naturally. You're out in the sun, kind of hard to avoid. You do have to go outside at some point. Um, and so that also too changes the ability to maintain dairy. Okay. People who live in colder climates, naturally, you can milk a cow and the milk will stay without the refrigeration. And if we're talking about over centuries, then I live in a place, Sub-Sahara Africa. Yeah, I can milk some, I can have fresh milk, but that ain't gonna stay very long. <laughs> and so to that point, a lot of those places where that central, that band across the world, a lot of people are lactose intolerant due to the fact that after the wean, they don't need it. So I'm thinking about in the United States, and I'm thinking about African-Americans. We still carry the genes, though. And, and so, right, so many of us are lactose intolerant, but then we think we should give our children and ourselves cow's milk. So usually what, what I usually tell everybody is usually what happens is the babies retain that ability, unless there's an inborn error, there's an error, an actual error. They can they can still take milk up to like that one to two, I think it's about four, four is like that max. Then that gene, it starts to decrease for people who are lactose intolerant. Now, there are some people who come out and it's just straight. Some people, the, 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 the ability to be weaning, about that four is where it starts to decrease, okay? Uh, you don't have to have milk. There's other ways to get calcium. And, and there's other ways to get calcium. It's just what we're used to. It, and I think that's something we have to stop some time and consider. What am I used to? What am I habitually doing? Mama did it, so I did it, so they do it. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. We could probably go on and on and on. But um, tell us about your practice a little bit more. So I own Karan Watson Tayman of Health. We are a private practice. We take insurance, most major and all insurance, including Medicare. Um, we specialize in pediatrics with your children and adults. We work with weight management, cardiovascular disease, renal disease before dialysis, and this will come back around. Okay, so, uh, and if someone wanted to reach out to you, uh, do they need a referral from it, their primary care doctor? Medicare, you will need a referral. Um, Medicare, you need a referral. Um, Medicare, renal disease, and renal disease, diabetes, and there's one more that might be covered under, for it to be for Medicare. Most insurance and commercial, you don't need a referral. Okay, um, so, so with 
this pandemic that we've all been experiencing over the past year plus are the visits telehealth yes ma'am and um do you have any dietary recommendations or supplement recommendations for us during this time or the recommendations are the same whether it's covid or not covid whether we're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic i think the recommendations are the same because um one thing we'll find is if we're consuming and i don't use healthy i use balance if we're consuming sorry, say that again. i don't use healthy i use balance because healthy okay. is that it's 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 individualistic <laughs> balance is more and if I, i'm consuming a variety of fruits and vegetables colors do count okay vegetables do not just come in the color green there's lots more colors in the rainbow that you can choose from but if i'm eating a variety of fruits and vegetables um quality protein and not like i said not in excess and I'm, I'm i'm getting in my grains and that's just not bread that's just not rice that can be quinoa um that can be a whole wheat pasta it doesn't it doesn't have to be anything extravagant it can be popcorn for all i care um not with not the ones in the bags just fresh popcorn okay um um air fried or i mean air fried on the stove are great if you're going to get the ones in the, in the actual packages get the ones without butter okay oh I know. I'm, I know. You well, can actually season them up. How do you take so make them oh, taste okay. So usually you can add. I usually would use like olive oil or an avocado oil, uh, and then and toss and toss them in with whatever season. So Parmesan, if I want that. I'm. T I, I I grew up in Texas, so I like uh, some spice <laughs> in there. So I use some of my Mexican seasonings um, on mine. I like a little kick. Um, but you can use the, but you can use Parmesan. You okay. can like the okay. yes. No, no, no. I don't want you not to enjoy. That's not what we're saying. But if we're going to do it, do it in a way that you can enjoy it and not feel guilty about it when you go back to the doctor and they run the lab work. All right. This will be my last question because okay. the more I talk to you, the more questions I have. We could do this for a very long time. But I run across people who I think, especially now, mm -hmm. because of the um, the pandemic, are going online and they're googling things and they're taking elderberry and sea moss and yeah. um, uh, X variety of supplements. Yes. Um, so Eastern medicine is amazing thing, okay? But Eastern and Western don't always mix. If you were on medication, you 100% need to make sure you talk to all providers that are on your care team about what you're taking, how much you're taking, and when you're taking it. The reason some people's blood pressures may not be working well is that they're mixing our Eastern medicine with our Western medicine and they're clashing. It's all medicine, let me make this clear. Whether it's St. John's wort, it is elderberry, it is vitamin A, it is vitamin D, it is B12, it is iron. Um, those things interact with medication. They interact with each other. Um, it is very important that we disclose to our providers, especially those on medication, what you're taking, um, with what. Uh, I think it's euthanasia, it interferes with some hypertensive medications and some cardiovascular medications. So yeah, you might be helping with that cold, but then you go back to the doctor and they're like, you know, what happened? We're looking at your clotting factors, we're looking at this, and you're like, um, you like to have, you know, it, mm -hmm. it becomes an issue. So what I tell people before you take any supplement, especially my cardiovascular patients, they include hypertensive, cholesterol, of uh, people who have heart failure, things like that. In my renal patients, you have to be very careful. I, I, I agree with you. Also with the caveat that your doctor may not know the interaction between your prescription medication 
and your supplement, yep. ashwagandha, whatever else you might be taking. Yep. And so to a large extent, you are doing it at your own risk. Yes. But you should let everyone know what, what you're taking. And I think we don't use our pharmacists enough. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. They went to school just like the rest of us. They don't mm -hmm. just, they're not pill poppers. Mm -hmm. They're just not dishing pills. Mm -hmm. They learn the chemical interaction between things. So sometimes if you have that question, you can ask them, hey, doc, I'm taking iron and this. They'll tell you the timing because iron has to be taken at a certain time before you eat because certain foods you eat interact with that and then it's just ineffective. Um, but people don't think about that as medication. Um, but then you also have issue, you know, it just, it's, it's a spiral. So using your pharmacist, there's an, and they're, they're there for a reason. They can help you cross-reference things to, they can even make recommend, recommendations back to doctors. Um, I've had a patient where the pharmacist had to tell a patient that I could take the medication because they're starting to see some issues based off of side effects. So then they, they communicated with the providers what was going on mm -hmm. based off of what, because sometimes certain, all providers don't see everything. So they might, which provider might prescribe this and that provider might prescribe that, paperwork gets crossed, pharmacist gets it and like, you can't take both of these. So sometimes talking, if you are on a large amount of medication, talk with your pharmacist, talk with your providers, talk with your dietitians before we decide to go take all these magical supplements. And then it might put us in a worse place um, then not. Good point. So to summarize, I heard you say that whole foods are the way to go. Yeah. Whole foods are the way to go. Um, and no matter where you are, you can always start. Oh, most definitely. You can start and modify. Yes. Um, you understand, you acknowledge the fact that all of us don't have the same resources. Nope but we can all find solutions. Of course. Okay, and uh, did I miss anything else? How would you, do you have anything else to sum up with you want people to understand either about dietitians or about yourself or how to maintain their health through food or eating? I think the biggest thing I think um, is asking for the help. Asking for help. Asking for help. Um, as much as we want to talk about insurance companies, if you call them and say, hey, I'm looking for a dietitian, or I'm looking for this, they'll give you a list of whatever's on your, what's on your insurance. Just ask. Um, you as the patient are the ship. You're driving the ship. Well, when should I consider seeing a dietitian? I would say if you just got diagnosed with something, you have no clue how to manage it. Like when I say that I just got diagnosed with diabetes, I just got diagnosed with, I just had a stroke. I'm just getting out of the hospital. You saw one in the hospital, but maybe I need a follow-up to make sure I have everything I need. The worst thing, the worst thing we can do is assume I got it together in those, in those instances. I, I call patients, or I talk to somebody. I'm like, okay. Then you go look at their A1C and it's 13. For reference, we wanted at seven. So um, don't assume, get help, get the knowledge. If you choose to use the knowledge, that's up to you. But at least you have the keys. Mm -hmm. um, that's something our community suffers with. It's going to get the knowledge. Oh, she's gonna tell me to eat right. No, that's not it. Um, there's dietitians for everything. To be honest, there's dietitians for PCOS. There's dietitians who focus in just GI issues. There's ones like me that focus more on what's affecting our black and brown people. There are dietitians for people with AIDS and HIV, um, pediatrics, geriatrics. So there's a large amount of resource out here, and we need to utilize it better. So I know I said I wasn't going to ask any more questions, but I do. Because you touched on it very briefly. Are there many black and brown dietitians? No. Not enough. We are in, they're doing more efforts now to recruit. 
and to bring more into the fold. It's a slow process. It's a slow process to increase and bring people into the fold just because you got to get them through undergrad. You got to get them through the internship process. You got to get them through passing the test. Um, so it takes time to get more aware, but this is not a profession that is promoted in our communities, mm. black and brown people. Um, you just, we just find it. The ones who find it, find it for some reason. Maybe you had a dietitian that helped your parents and you thought that was a cool, um, cool profession. You went to appointment with them. Or maybe you had a family member that was one or you were at a university that offers it. But if it's not something, a lot of people aren't exposed to what we do. Like, like you said, they think all I do is food. I wish that was that. I wish, ah, look, if that's all I had to do, it'd be great. You know, um, but like I said, I, there, there, we have to have a little bit more exposure and um, a little bit more people actually seeing the variety of what we do, the variety and the value. And find, and I think that the good thing is too, you gotta find who works for you. I don't work for everybody. But that being said, you are a rare and valuable resource in our community. So once again, how can we find you? How can we reach you? Give us all your pertinent information. So right now, um, Karan Watson's Haven of Health, we are getting our website and everything together. We are still seeing patients. So if you want to see us, you can send us an email at kw at Karan, K-O-R-A-N, Watson, W-A-T-S-O-N, H-O-F-H.com. Say that again. Um, I will. It's kw. Uh, at Karan, K-O-R-A-N, Watson, W-A-T-S-O-N, H-O-F-H.com. So it's Karan Watson, Haven of Health.com. So we abbreviated Haven of Health because it's a little bit long. But yeah, you can reach out to us. Like I said, we take all, we, yeah, we take all major insurances um, and we take Medicare. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. This was quite informative. Thank you.